I really wanted to, to do a more traditional, close reading of the text. And so I want to make sure you have the text in front of you. So in front of your seats, there are Torah commentaries. They look like this. They say the Torah on the spine. I'm going to invite you to turn to page 488. 488. We're going to look at the text together. That way, as I'm teaching, you can see it each um, for yourselves and explore a little bit as I'm speaking. So on page 488 is the beginning of Shirat Hayam. Again, Shir means song or poem, and Yam is the sea. So it's the song of the sea. And it tells you at the beginning, they've just crossed the Red Sea, Imagine that Ten Commandments moment, right? The sea has slit, they've walked through, they get to the other end, and then the text tells us that Moses and the Israelites sang this song to God, and they said, right? And I wanted Marsha just to chant for a second. There's a special trope that we say on this Shabbat, and we stand, you don't have to stand, it's not a Torah reading, but it's such a special text that we stand and have a special trope whenever we hear it on Saturday mornings. So as you know, in, in, our, in our music, we have both Ashkenazi, uh, European, Western type melody, and Sephardic, more of Eastern Mizrahi um, melody. And so Jacob, tomorrow morning, you're chanting the Ashkenazi, Eastern European, uh, and what it's generally what most 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 Westerners chant, but I'm going to actually sing um, the Sephardic uh, melody, so it's different than what you're doing. So don't get thrown off. Mm -hmm. It's a beautiful tune. I'll just give you the tune first. It goes like this. <laughs> So the reason, I, first of all, I think it's important you know it and hear it, but if you turn the page and look at verse 20 at the end of the song, it says, then Miriam the prophetess, right, a female prophet, Aaron's sister, took a timbrel in her hand, so some kind of hand drum, something Eric would play, uh, and all the women went after her and danced with timbrels. And Miriam chanted for them, sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. Horse and driver he has hurled into the sea. So many scholars think that it was traditional, that it was traditional that when warriors, when the troops came home, victorious in battle and walked through the gates of the city, all the women would take hand drums and stand at the arch, stand at the gate, and they would sing poems and songs like this to celebrate the victory. And that this, if you believe that there are multiple layers of the Torah, if you're open to the idea that the Torah was written over a long period of time, that this is the oldest piece of text 
that we have in the five books of the Torah, that its language is old, that it's in poetry form, poetic form, that it has a lot of language that's similar to other Canaanite and Ugaritic myths about Baal and other gods, and that this was probably some kind of militaristic almost, not in a bad way, kind of victory song that women would sing to the troops when they came home. So it seems appropriate to hear Marsha's voice. I don't, know, I don't know how much you sing for troops when they come home. It's a little bit more peaceful of a melody, but you can get the idea that there's this sense that it's one of the most ancient texts in the Torah, probably as early as the late 12th century, that it's much older, that it's poetic, and that it has this central message that God is a divine warrior king, right, who vanquished Pharaoh, his enemy, who's just a human being that there's some sense of a cosmic battle of gods and our god won, right? That if you think there are multiple gods kind of at war with each other, right, which is not something that the Torah is totally closed off to, then we want to make sure that everyone knows that Adonai, that the Israelite god, is the one that won, right? And that we're celebrating that just like the women celebrated. And then it's this kind of celebratory song that women would have sung, right? So as we say that, uh, there are two things I want to make sure you know before we study the text in depth. The first one is that in traditional Judaism, this is said every morning during Psuche de Zimra, at the beginning of the morning service. So not only is it important enough that we rise once a year when we read it and that we use it with a special tune, but the rabbis and really the medieval um, Jewish community of Eastern Europe and Central Europe thought it was so important that they wanted to say it every single morning. So it's in the middle of Psuche de Zimra, and it's said with that same special tune every single morning, right? So it's that important of a text. But what I was most interested in was in the biblical telling, it's very, it's, again, it's a kind of militant song, right? If you look at the early verses, right? So if you turn back to 488, we're not gonna read the whole thing, but just start looking I will sing to God, for he has triumphed gloriously. Horse and driver he has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and might. He's become my salvation. This is my God, and I will enshrine him. The God of my father, I will exalt him. The Lord, the warrior, Adonai is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army he cast into the sea. The pick of his officers are drowned in the sea of reeds. The deep covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. It's a rough, it's an intense poem, right? It's definitely like we got him, right? And it's not narrative. It's not linear. It's definitely poetic form. It's repetitive. It kind of says the same thing again and again, but in different ways. And you can imagine it being sung in a very celebratory way, right? So in a biblical context, it's very much about celebration and military dominance, imagining God as this warrior king. But so the question is, what do the rabbis, right? What are the next generation of Jewish interpreters, those who came after the destruction of the second temple in the second, third, and fourth century, right? How do they interpret this? Because the reality is we're more rabbinic Jews than we are biblical Jews. And so I was interested to look, and I made copies so that all of you could follow along. So I'm going to pass out this blue text. I'm going to actually ask.
So when I was looking through the rabbinic commentary of how to understand this, I came across Sota, which is in the uh, Babylonian Talmud. So, right, our core rabbinic text in the tractate Sota. And as they're passing around, I'll read it to you. So our rabbis taught. Rabbi Yossi of the Galilean expounded, at the time the Israelites ascended from the Red Sea, they desired to sing a song. And how did they render the song? What did they sing? And then it says that the baby who lay upon his mother's knee and the nursing child who drank at his mother's breast, when they beheld the Shekhinah, when they beheld God's presence at the Red Sea, the baby raised his neck and the nursing child released the nipple from his mouth and they exclaimed, you can tell why I was interested in this as I was reading it, um, I have a two month old, this is my God and I will praise him. As it is said, out of the mouths of babies and nursing children you have established strength. And then Rabbi Meir said, how is it that even the embryos in their mother's womb sing a song? As it is said, blessed are you the Lord in the congregations, even the Lord from the fountain of Israel. But these could not behold the Shekhinah, right? How could a fetus in its mother's womb? But Rabbi Tenchum said, the abdomen became from them like a kind of transparent medium, and they did behold it. Right, so let's just pick this apart for a second. If you're not familiar with rabbinic texts, they're more creative than you would imagine rabbis being over 2,000 years ago. But they're really trying to imagine what could it have been like when they sang this song. And rather than imagining a kind of military victory, they have a very different vision. They imagine everyone together, and it's not just Miriam with her timbrels, it's not just Moses and the other leaders of the community, like Aaron and the chiefs and the people who are eventually priests, it is literally everyone. And if you look, my favorite commentary on this is from Judith Hauptman, who's a Talmudic professor, Right? She says, this delightful elaboration, that's the second, um, second text on your sheet, this delightful elaboration of the biblical verse illustrates the deeply spiritual and anti-elitist stance of the rabbis. According to them, everyone, even the tiniest baby, experiences the awe that is inherent in God's presence. There is no limitation by age, gender, or level of sophistication. When God suspends the law of nature, like splitting a sea, social barriers that are constructed by human beings and not by nature disappear. This is a really common idea in modern Talmudic scholarship, which is that what is the real innovation of the rabbis, of the Talmud? It's that it takes a biblical text, which at times can be pretty hierarchical and can be pretty authoritarian in its imagination of who has power and who celebrates God, and it tries to universalize it. That in a time after the destruction of the temple where there's no priesthood anymore, there's no one central place in Jerusalem where everyone goes to sacrifice and to relate to God and the community, when everyone's in exile, they're spread out in Babylonia and in Egypt and in Italy, what it becomes Italy in the Roman Empire, right? There's this sense that they, to survive, needed to universalize and some of this is anachronistic, but democratize the idea of Torah, of truth, of our relationship to God and our ability to be redeemed by God in our lives. And one of the ways they did that is they would take 
the oldest, the most ancient, the most core of biblical imagery, and they would universalize it. And this is one of the best examples of that, that they imagined, it's a little bit extreme, but they tried to imagine that every single being, that every single potential being was singing this same song together that everyone celebrated, that everyone took part in this sense of miracle, in this sense of wonder. And so in the literal way that rabbis do, they ask, what was it like? And they imagine a little baby on its mother's lap suddenly looking up and singing. They imagine a baby nursing suddenly saying, oh, I don't even need this milk because I'm so happy I have to sing out. And in a you know, somewhat, uh, I don't know how we feel about it, but kind of really creative way, they imagine that literally, Right? A pregnant woman's belly became transparent so that even potential life could sing and see what it was like to be together as a community celebrating the miracle of crossing the Red Sea. Right? So what do we do with this kind of biblical creative idea? I think that it's a very liberal Jewish idea. Reformed Jews love this part of the rabbinic consciousness because we ourselves struggle with the idea of who owns Judaism and how do we deal with hierarchies in Jewish life today? Who owns Judaism? Who gets to decide what it is? Who gets to sing the song, right? Who gets to celebrate together? And I think that moments like this show that there's this, first of all, somewhat surprisingly gender sensitive idea, but then more importantly, there's this real universal idea that all of us have the potential, right? Regardless, as Judith Hoffman says, as Dr. Hoffman says, regardless of age, gender, regardless of how much Hebrew we know, if we went to religious school, if we were born Jewish, if we're twice a year Jews, or if we come every Shabbat, that there's this notion that everyone has the potential to have Shabbat Shirah. Everyone has the potential to sing, to be part of a Jewish community, to pray to God, and to really experience God in life and in nature, um, and really throughout our lives, however we experience it. So I hope that each of you kind of take that into Shabbat and into the week with you, that you find moments where you feel like you have access to sing, right? Access to have moments of Shabbat Shirah, and that you feel like no matter what, you kind of have access to that moment of celebrating just the miracle of being able to live and experience nature and relate to community and to God. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat shalom.